Welcome to the Recession Resistant Real Estate Radio, where we talk about real estate, passive investing, business strategies, and so much more. I'm your host, Brandon Cobb, CEO of HPG Capital. Now let's dive into today's episode. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Recession Resistant Real Estate Radio. I'm your host, Brandon Cobb. In today's episode, we're going to talk about 11 unknown methods for getting the client to say Yes, I'm not going to be talking about the pop culture. Everybody knows that you need to have social proof and testimonials and get them to say yes, 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 and the ball and conversation rolling in the right direction before you ask for the business. These are going to be very unique and unknown, little known methods of influencing somebody and getting that customer to say yes. But before we jump into today's episode, if you get value from these episodes, Please share them with your friends and family, and please take a quick second to leave us a review. Reviews are the podcast currency. It bumps us up in the algorithm and helps us get more views so that we can bring you more amazing content. So take a second, leave us a review. Let's jump into it. So no matter what you're really doing, whether you're parenting or you're in sales if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're a brother, your sister, even if you're, you're a child, if there's any children listening out there that want to help influence or get their parents to say yes, this applies in so many different situations. And the, the 11 principles and methods that I picked out today, uh, they come straight out of the book, Getting to Yes by Robert Cialdini. Uh, Robert Cialdini, I love his book, Persuasion, which covers the methods and circumstances to expose clients to before they interact with your sales process, which increases the chances of them actually saying yes to your product. If you get a chance, you have to go check out that book, Persuasion. And then uh, Persuasion actually covers the methods and tips that you can use in order to influence somebody. This book... um, I think it's like 40 different ways to get the yes, something like that is his third book. It covers 40 different principles on how to get a client to yes, how to influence them. And the ones that I picked out today, the reason I picked them out is they're not as widely known. You know, popular sales methods are, you know, having reviews, having uh, a testimonial, social proof, uh, you know, starting asking the client questions in the sales process that have a yes answer. If they say yes to this, yes to this, yes to this, and then you ask for the business, they're more likely to get yes. So there's there's a lot of kind of regurgitated stuff. I picked these out because I felt like they were much less known. So let's jump right into it. The first is giving them multiple options, but past a certain point, too many options actually decreases your conversion rate. So, you know, we learned this in our offers on properties to sellers. We realized that our conversion rate went up significantly more when we offered multiple offers. In other words, putting a seller financing uh, offer in there, um, terms, uh, and then, you know, cash offers. Uh, hey, if we got to go get a loan, here's the offer. So we p- built in all these different offers and realized that it, our conversion rate basically went up. I remember we used to go in and just say, hey, it's a cash offer. It's a cash offer. It's a cash offer. So we go in with our cash hammer and we were getting beat out by people and we couldn't realize why, like, hey, why in the world, if we're like the best offer out there and we're offering cash, how is somebody beating us? And that's when we realized that, you know, cash wasn't quite as important as terms. 
we were able to offer a seller probably three times as much as what the property is actually worth because we structured it in a way that worked for them and worked for us. It was a seller financing terms. The seller was in a situation where they didn't want all the cash up front because they were going to have a big taxable event. And so we spread those payments out over a 15-year period. And it was great for us because the asset continues to cash flow and we're just hanging on to it, cash flowing every single month. And they like it because they're getting a very low, uh, they have very low taxable liability every year because they're receiving their payments monthly. And you know when they're able to write everything off at the end of the year on what they make, they don't pay a whole ton of taxes. So it saved them uh, probably $150,000 in, in taxes alone just by doing it this way. So it was a great deal that worked out for everybody. So offer multiple offers on all of your deals when you do, or make multiple products and services in different tiers available to your customers. That's the first method. Second method is ask them for a favor prior to doing business. Now, why this method works, I don't know, but there's a very popular fable. I don't know if this is true or not, but Benjamin Franklin, he really wanted to borrow. I'm sorry, he didn't want to borrow. He wanted to get this certain individual to like him. And I can't remember the circumstances around, you know, why this was, but what he did in order to get into his good graces when he found out that this person did not like him was he actually asked to borrow a specific book. This was a book that this particular person treasured a lot and Benjamin Franklin really wanted to borrow it. So he asked if he could borrow it. He borrowed it and he actually read it because he was genuinely interested in this concept and wrote the man back expressing how thankful he was and how much he appreciated him sending that book and how much he enjoyed it. And in the letter he wrote, if I could ever do anything for you, please, 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 please let me know. I feel indebted to you. Uh, I owe you a favor. And then not too long afterwards, Benjamin Franklin asked him uh, again for something. And it was, uh, it was the, the thing that, you know, that he really wanted. And the guy genuinely liked him. So if you can ask your customers or clients for favors uh, beforehand, it will increase your likelihood of success uh, down the road if you try to do business with them afterwards. The third method is to ask for a little and then a lot more. This is the foot in the door principle. And we do this with many of our current investor base. After we've uh, done a deal or two with them, we will actually ask them to invest more money. And the way the human brain works is very interesting. Once it has condoned something and said, hey, you know, this this is something that uh, that I've done in the past, I need to be congruent with our actions because whenever our thoughts are not congruent with our actions, we experience something called cognitive dissonance. And if you've ever maybe done something, you didn't feel morally right, or someone's asked you to do something and you didn't feel morally right, that's cognitive dissonance that's that's happening in your brain. So if somebody's done something in the past and you're basically asking them to do more of that thing, for them to say no, there's some cognitive dissonance that can stir up in their brain. And the human emotions are designed to fight cognitive dissonance. And so this can help you uh, influence or uh, gain clients to yes a lot more. So ask for a little and then a lot. The fourth principle is when something goes wrong, own it. A lot of the times when we're in a service-based industry or we're a product-based industry, really any kind of business industry, we really want everything to go perfect for the customer. And the reality is many times things are not going to go 
perfect. And when something goes wrong with the product or something goes wrong with your service, instead of pointing the finger at somebody else, own that problem because it shows that you save face and it shows that you're honest. And in the investment industry, I, I see a, pe- a lot of people make a, a ton of mistakes. They sugarcoat everything when informing the investors or giving them updates. They don't inform them when things go wrong because they think that when they inform investors when things go wrong, that investors are going to freak out and it's going to be a big ordeal and they're going to lose that relationship. Um, you know, for example, our communication when things don't go as planned actually goes up. We increase communication during those times. And what, what I've found or what I've learned from other people who've made this mistake is when you're not honest up front with how things are going, if you're not owning that problem right when it happens, if you're not divulging it when it occurs, it only snowballs and grows a whole lot worse because if you're telling people that everything's going fine, and everything is rosy when it's not, it's going to get to the point where eventually it's not. And you can't save face anymore because you have been telling basically a false narrative and the roosters, chickens are going to come home to hatch eventually. And you're going to have a really big problems on your hands. So always own the problem. The sixth is make a request and then follow it up with because. There was a very interesting psychological study that was done at an office where people were printing papers. And if you ever worked in an office environment and you're printing papers, sometimes you can wait in line. Sometimes the printer can get stuck. There's that famous scene off office space where they take the printer out in the field and just beat it with a bat and just absolutely destroy it because their frustration and rage with working it over the years is built up. And it's very important that you make a request and then follow it with because. I was trying to think of a really good example around this. This uh, this study that they did, they had people sitting in an office, and what they did was they had people who were waiting in line to use the printer be approached by somebody with a with a stack of papers. And they did two scenarios. Scenario one was when the people walked up to the people waiting in line and said, hey, can do you mind if I jump in front of you real quick? I'm supposed to get this out today. I've been really sick. And if I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get uh, in a lot of trouble with my boss. And I would really appreciate it. They had a 87% success rate in being able to skip the line when they gave up because when they gave a reason they had the same scenario play it play out same line you know same printer except this time they had people walk up and say hey can i skip you and that was it nothing else hey can i skip you what do you think the conversion rate of them skipping line was it was like 11 percent. it went through the floor so the rule of thumb is when asking for something always follow it with because and then give a reason behind it Method number seven is reciprocity. In any situation you can find yourself in to win over a client's business, try to give them something. I remember when I walked into the gym that I was working out at and I could tell that there was a young man there and he had like this 
like rack of clothes just sitting right by the door, right by the front desk. And you could tell it was it was gym apparel. And as soon as I walked in, he said, hey, how are you doing? Good. Here's my name. So and so. Hey, you know, I wanted to give you this free gift. And it wasn't much. It was like a little keychain, something like that. I think a little keychain light. You put it on your key and the, and the light shines. So you have like a little mini flashlight with you. Probably cost them a buck or two. And as soon as he gave you the gift, he'd say, hey, uh, I'm actually a startup business. I have my own gym line equipment that I'm very passionate about. These clothes are going to just change the whole gym industry. Would you like to take a look? And I, I looked at his clothes because, well, he just gave me something for free. How awkward would that have been had he just given me something, me accept it, and then me say, no, I'm not really interested in taking a look at your stuff. And then I said, sure. You know, I looked at it and he, he was pitching some of the, the hoodies with cutoff sleeves. And I was like, oh, you know, that's cool. I've seen those before and was interested in that. And he's like, well, uh, you know, we're running a special today. Do you want to buy one of them? And I couldn't say no. He'd just given me this thing. And I, I felt like I was indebted to him. Uh, I, I feel like I am the easiest sell in the world. I have such a hard time saying uh, no to people. And I just couldn't say no to this guy because he's just giving me like a $2 flashlight and made a $40 sell. So uh, use the, use reciprocity uh, before asking for the business. Method number eight, the more personalized the request, the bigger conversion rate you are going to have. I get so many LinkedIn requests. It is absolutely insane. Emails spam from people trying to sell me their product or service. I don't even have time to look at them. I probably get at least 17 or 18 a day. I mean, it is just a massive amount. I don't even know how I got on their list. There's products and services that I've never even signed up before. And I'll never forget this one young girl stood out from all the other videos. I was so impressed by the method that she used to to get in touch with me that I actually incorporated it into my business. I was, I was like, what is this thing? This it immediately stood out in all the emails that I received and all of the LinkedIn messages that I received. She used something called a Loom video. And the interesting thing about a Loom video, it's actually what I'm recording on right now, but it allows you to record and it creates a link. So the recipient does not have to download it. You don't have to download it to your email. You just click a button, you record, and then boom, it creates a link. Well, the interesting thing is when you copy and paste this link into a Facebook chat or LinkedIn chat or an email box, when the receiving party gets it, they don't see a link. They actually see a video that's being played right there on it. So imagine scrolling through your emails, you see an email and there's actually a video of the person waving to you on the video. And what she did is she had a board on there that said, hey, Brandon, and then took the board down. And there was a board behind it that said, can I ask you a question? And I was like, holy smoly, this, she knows my name. She sent a video. She waved at me. I could see her face. Uh, and she sent it on like every social media platform that, to me and, and via email. So I, I, I did definitely respond to this because it was so personalized. So writing letters, uh, sending videos to people using their name, uh, get rid of this spray and pray approach if you're doing any kind of large scale marketing. Make it really personalized. And there's some really cool AI tools in this day and age that you need to go check out. There's ways of sending a, uh, like a general blank message but changing their name 
in that general blank message. So if you've got that data, AI can actually pull it and it will insert their name into this blanket message so you can make it more personalized automatically. That's out there. It's really cool. You got to go check that out. Principle number nine is have somebody else introduce you, introduce your accomplishments, or talk about your products or services. I go to a ton of conferences. And I'm actually also reading Snowball right now, which is the book about Warren Buffett's life. And this principle about having other people uh, introduce you or introduce your product service really makes a big difference. Some of the most successful product pitches I've seen on stage are when somebody else introduces that person because it makes a big difference in how you see that person and their personality and, and their ego. You know, if I get on stage and you know, I say, hi, you know, my name's uh, Brandon Cobb. I do $35 million worth of new development per year. You know, I've uh, made millions and millions of dollars. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm amazing. I'm amazing. I'm amazing. Right. You see, I, that person's going to kind of go come off as very arrogant, kind of full of themselves. And it's just kind of a turnoff. But if somebody else gets on stage and talks about how great this person coming up is, how amazing their accomplishments are, the magazines they've been posted in, the Forbes websites that they've been featured in, you you tend to want to trust that that next person coming along, right? Because it's somebody else doing it. So, you know, I've been trying to figure out ways to, you know, get people to introduce me if I'm doing a speaking engagement. Um, I don't want to talk about any accolades. I It's just not me. Um, I'll let somebody else talk about them, but I don't want to talk myself up. I want somebody else to talk me up, somebody else to introduce me, um, somebody else to, to refer me. And what's interesting is Warren Buffett basically did the exact same thing. What's interesting is six years into his journey raising capital for his partnerships, he got to a point where he realized he had a lot more success when he had a couple people who were um, set up to refer people to him. And he told these, I'm going to call them hinges, like a door hinge. A hinge is like something used to get to something or get to somebody. These hinges that he had, he would make it very clear, hey, you know, anybody who is interested, I'm not going to call them. I'm not going to approach them. I'm not going out and reaching out. I'm not raising more money. They have to contact me and tell me that they are interested. And this little flip-flop that he did made people want to give him even more money. He framed himself as his the price. And he did that by using a hinge, somebody else that was referring uh, leads over to him. So very, very powerful concept. If you can get somebody else to talk about your accolades or introduce you, uh, your conversion rate is going to go up. Method number 10 is to maximize influence on employees' future behaviors Devote a sizable portion to their training on the past errors made and not as much of the successes. Now, there's an argument to made you should do both, but they did this study where specifically with firefighters, they took one group when they were training them and focused a lot of the training on what firefighters did that went really, really well. In other words, all of the successes that they had. And they focused the training around that and then, you know, released them into these hypothetical scenarios and they, they got a certain score on how they performed. They then did a different set of uh, firefighters and they did this over and over again. They had a pretty good sample size. 
And instead of training them on all the things that went right, they trained them on all the errors, all the things that went wrong. It was basically error-based training. And then they put the same group that the other firefighters have been in to the same performance scenario, and they performed better. The role is when training employees or training anybody, make sure that you're training them on error-based training. In other words, what what you should definitely not do in past mistakes that have been made. Method number 11 is we tend to feel especially positive towards some subtle things that are associated with ourselves, such as our names. We we had a row of uh, homes that we built uh, in this booming neighborhood in Nashville, and it was really interesting how this deal played out. This uh, there were there were an older couple who you could tell that they didn't like what was going on around them. The neighborhood was train- changing. The city had zoned it for higher density, so a lot of people were tearing down these really old homes and building these really new homes all around them. And they were getting all these calls from people wanting to buy their property. And to the point where they just kind of stopped answering it. And, you know, when I touched base with them, one of the first things that stood out to me that I could hear in their voice was my name. My name just happened to be the name of one of their sons. And they brought this up multiple times because every time they would meet me and say my name, they'd say, oh, you know, Brandon. I remember when Brandon would do this. And we talk about old memories of Brandon, uh, their son, not me. And I could just tell that we had this instant connection just because of my name. And we ended up buying that property from them, um, you know, doing a great deal. Uh, that deal changed their life. I love doing deals like that when you can put like literally it was a it was a seven figure deal that they were getting and you could tell like these were people that had probably made made never made more than thirty, forty thousand dollars their entire life, right? I think the father had like a sixth grade education. Um and it was it was a beautiful beautiful situation. But I, I honestly think that a big part on why I got that deal is because I was at one able to stand out from the crowd just because of my name. I think I got kind of lucky. So look for ways to associate your product or service or your company with the person's name or anything that is that is like that person that they can connect to. Method number 12, because we over deliver, this is a bonus method, is, and I learned this in every sales role that I was in, is people respond much more strongly to loss than they do gain. And this couldn't have been more eye-opening to me when I was taking this sales class in my medical device sales days. So this teacher was fantastic because they weren't just up teaching content, they were demonstrating it live. And I'd never been to a class before that did such a good job of teaching the principles through feeling that principle. The uh, first question he asked the audience to demonstrate this this principle that we respond much more strongly to loss than we do uh, gain is he asked everybody who had uh, bought a home to raise their hand. And he said, okay, if you've bought a home in the past 20 years, raise your hand, 10 years or 15 years and 10 years and five years. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Bought a home in the past 10 years, raise your hand again. Okay. Perfect. You, sir. And you, ma'am. And you, and he just kind of went down the line. He goes, tell me about your experience buying your home. 
And they're like, well, um, hell, it was on this street. Um, oh, our agent's name was this. And he's like, okay, well, how much did you buy it for? And they're like, oh, you know, I, can't, I can't really remember. And he's like, well, what, what stood out about that home? Why'd you buy that home? And they're like, well, uh, lots of hesitation. They were struggling to remember the reasons why they bought something. And he did a good job of framing the home because the home was something that they gained. He was trying to demonstrate the frame and the psychology behind gaining something. And everyone could kind of name a few things, but you could tell it was fuzzy. You know, they weren't very clear. They hesitated a lot. Some of the details they couldn't quite remember. And so you're like, okay, great. Well, you know, kind of where is this going? Then he asked the audience, who has ever had their home broken into and robbed? And there was one gentleman who raised his hand. He said, sir, you know, how, how long ago did this happen? And he said, oh, it was 17 years ago. So a lot longer than everyone he had asked uh, who, who had, had purchased a home at that, that 10 years or less mark. And he said, sir, can you tell us about that day? He goes, oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. And I'm thinking to myself, yesterday? Whoa, what in the world? He goes, I'll never forget. It was a Friday. I came home from work at my usual time. It was 4.15 p.m. And as I opened the garage, I could tell something was off. The door was open. And not only was the door open, but I could just feel that the presence in the house was off. The vibe was off. I could tell there was air moving through that house. It basically told me that the back door was open. And he said, as soon as I walked in, I'll never forget, it looked like it looked like a tornado had gone through the house. Everything had just been pushed through and thrown on the floor. Uh, he said he could remember ascending the stairs, and he was almost at tears when he saw that his daughter's piggy bank had been busted open, and they literally took every last penny in it. He remembers immediately calling his wife and telling him to call the police, and the police pulled up at like 6.20 p.m. This guy remembered every single detail of that experience. And so when we're selling products or services, we're trying to get to somebody to say yes, instead of talking about, you know, what can they gain? You know, hey, look, you know, if you make this investment right here, you can make so much money. Oh my gosh, look at all how much money you can make. Instead, frame it in a loss. What's the opportunity cost? What are you missing out on? You know, if you don't make this investment today and let it compound over 20 years and you're still having to spend 40, 50 hours a week working a job because you're not financially independent, you know, how many baseball games are you going to miss for your grandkids? You know, how many weeks of travel are you going to miss with your life partner, your wife or your husband um, by not having that financial freedom, not being able to do that, right? Speak in terms of what they lose rather in terms of what they can gain and you will see your conversion rate go up. Uh, Till next time, guys, it's been great hanging out with y'all. We'll see you on the next one.